Good morning. As the kids head down, uh, why don't we grab our Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to project on the screen. We got some reading to do this morning. Uh, my name's Jeremy, I'm one of the elders here, and we are continuing our series in Matthew. And so it seems a little bit, as Mike said last week, a little bit like Christmas. We are at the beginning of Matthew, and uh, we've spent time in chapter 1 in the Incarnation, and we are now in chapter 2, and we're going to read the entire chapter together, chapter 2. So read with me this morning, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have to come and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ? Where the Christ was to be born, sorry. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going to the house that they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose. And he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or or under, according to the time that had, ascer- that had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they, were, they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, or I'm sorry, yeah, over Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So word of the Lord, amen? Let's pray. God, we just pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. You do that. You speak to us. You've told us about who you are. Your word describes to us, reveals to us, illuminates to our hearts who it is we worship. We are so grateful for who you are and that we get to know who you are because you've told us. Help us this morning to hear from your word, to know you better, to worship you more deeply, to come with joy, to worship the one, the Messiah, the Christ, who you've revealed to us in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So we get an opportunity this morning in the word of God to talk about who it is that we worship. And really, that's what Matthew's doing here. Matthew is laying out and describing for us who Jesus is. Who is this baby who has come? What is the significance of his coming? What is the impact of the fact that Jesus is this fulfillment of all of these prophecies that have been foretold? What does that mean about who he is? What is the significance of that for us and how should we respond to the reality that as Matthew displays for us in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus isn't just a baby. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is foretold about, the, the coming Messiah. How significant is that? It, it would have been significant not just to us, but to the readers of that time, the way that Matthew describes and lays out the realities and the narrative of who Jesus is, how he was born, what were the circumstances of his birth, how did people respond, what did God do in orchestrating these events through his sovereignty and through his hand, actually miraculously adjusting nature and, and events and miraculously having things happen to describe to us the significance of who Jesus is. Man, I think it's important for us to look at. It's important for us to, to think about. It's important for us to study because it has ramifications on what we do, who he is. Amen? So we see in Matthew, Jesus is one who's worthy to be worshipped. Why? There's some things that stand out here. Number one, he's the Messiah, right? He's the Christ. He is the king of the Jews. And we see that early on in this chapter that Matthew uh, describes that Jesus, born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east come to Jerusalem saying, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. So they're declaring it. I don't know what kind of theological reference these pagan Gentile astrologers had, but something happened that they come and they say, 
Where's the king of the Jews? Where is he? We saw something in our astrology. How remarkable that God uh, is orchestrating astrological events that would trigger the coming of Gentiles who are not in the Jewish faith to look for the Messiah. Isn't that remarkable? And Matthew points that out to us for a reason. We see, we see in Luke that, that the, the shepherds respond. Matthew gives us a picture into a different response. Because Matthew's declaring, listen, all the Jews that were looking for the Messiah, he is the Messiah that was foretold, and guess what? He's not just for you. He's the Messiah for everybody. He's the Messiah for the whole world. This is so much more significant than just the king of the Jews. This is the king of kings. This is the king to end all kings. This is the king that Isaiah talked about, where, where the government would be on his shoulders. That, that uh, For unto us a child is born, in Isaiah 9. Uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is not just temporal, in time, king of the Jews. This is the Christ, the Messiah, whose kingdom is forever. And we're seeing Gentiles respond as they look at the stars. It's a big deal, it's a big moment. In human history, God orchestrates because of the coming king. This is who we worship. So Herod calls them together. And we see Herod, who is the temporal, physical, Roman-appointed king of the Jews. That's not that big of a deal. You know, we see Jesus, who, where is this king of the Jews? Uh, this new king of the Jews, and you see Herod feel threatened. But Herod wasn't just threatened because he would maybe be the next king of the Jews. It's, it's more significant than that, and Herod recognizes it. Herod's threatened because of the reality of, of what's happening. You, know, you think about it now. I was listening to someone else talk about this. There's probably, I don't know, four or five kids right now that are alive in the United States that will be the next presidents of the United States. Right? Maybe more. I think probably four or five are alive right now. No one's looking for, there's no astrological event that's taking place at their birth. There's no star in the sky, but they're, they're alive now and, and eventually they will become presidents of the United States. This is so much more significant than that. So much more significant for Herod than just the king of the Jews. And how do we know that? We see it here. Look at it in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. All Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ, the Christ. Significant. The Old Testament Hebrew word would have been Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah is the Christ. This is the king of kings. This is the everlasting king. Herod recognizes the significance of what's happening here. The king who will rule everlasting. And he's concerned. 
He's troubled. There's talk of it. Think about this for a moment. There's talk of it. He's gathering scribes and Pharisees together. He's looking for an answer. Hey, guys, take a look in the Bible and let me know where is the Messiah, where is the Christ supposed to be born? And they give him an answer to that question. They say Bethlehem. They're looking at Micah that we read this morning, chapter 5. Micah 5, 2. And we see in Micah this prophecy that they understood. And they answer his question. And they say, he's to be born in Bethlehem. Behold unto us. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, from you shall be come forth for, for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. He's coming from Bethlehem. Matthew quotes Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers. He kind of switches that around to illustrate, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they answer his question. But they don't just answer the question, who's the king of the Jews? Because if you keep reading in Micah, it's so much more significant than just the king of the Jews. O Bethlehem, uh, who's little, will come forth a ruler of Israel, but then keep reading in Micah. And I'm sure that they did who's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Listen, Jesus being in the womb of Mary was not the beginning. We see in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. He, he is everlasting. He is from ancient days. The Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the plan for the Messiah, the rescuer, the one who would lead us, the one who would save us. This is from the beginning. This is so much more significant than a child in the womb of Mary. This is the Messiah foretold from the beginning, from ancient days. This is, this is the one, and he's to be born in Bethlehem. Herod responds to this reality. He's troubled. The chief priests and the scribes are aware He's inquiring of, of them where the Christ was to be born, and they tell him in Bethlehem, and they quote Micah. And then Herod summons these wise men to come and have a conversation with him. He's trying to find this baby. He's concerned. He's troubled, recognizing the king of kings. I'm sure Herod doesn't have any context for the reality of how he is to be the king of kings and the impact of the incarnation of Christ in, in, in the gospel. I don't think Herod has reference for that, but he knows enough to be threatened. And he takes action. What's interesting here? Is when we think of worship, responding to this reality of the Messiah... Herod, the scribes, the Pharisees, these are the teachers, these are the folks that know the Old Testament, who understand the prophecy, who recognize the significance of this. Herod clearly recognizes the significance of this, and none of them go. Isn't that remarkable? Something is happening. The Messiah is to be born. I'm concerned. Gee, they're talking about it. It's of talk in the community. The Pharisees and the scribes answer his question. And then they don't go. The Pharisees and the scribes don't go to worship him. They go back to work. They get up the next morning and go back to doing what they were doing. 
They've been looking for the Messiah for years. They recognize that this is happening. Something significant is going on. They answer Herod's question. Herod doesn't go to Bethlehem. The scribes, the Pharisees, the people that are talking about it don't get up and go to Bethlehem. A couple of Gentile astrologers who see in the the star in the sky have, have now up upwielded their lives and are making movement towards going to him to worship him. Isn't that remarkable? Who is it that we worship? We worship a God. We worship a Savior where, where God moved stars. Where God prophesied and planned for centuries <coughs> for him to come. And he's here. He's here for a distinct purpose. That's who we worship. That's who these astrologers went to fall down before. And who the scribes and the Pharisees totally missed. They didn't adjust their lives at all. They didn't go to Bethlehem to worship. They answered the question and moved on and went back to their lives. Jesus, the Messiah... He's going to shepherd his people till the ends of the earth, according to Micah. Isn't it amazing? As you see this little picture, as you see Herod totally consumed with his little fiefdom and his popularity and his little rule that no one cares about or knows about. Chinese don't know about Herod. People at the ends of the earth don't care or know who Herod is. In fact, the only reason anyone knows Herod's name is because of Jesus. He's known to the ends of the world to this day. His greatness is declared throughout the centuries and across the world to this day. Herod's so concerned he's trying to kill uh, two-year-old and younger babies in the entire area of Bethlehem because he's worried about his little fiefdom and no one cares or knows who he is. But Jesus is greatness. We see the reality of the prophecy and of how great and who he is, not just in the scriptures, but in history. Jesus is the king of kings. And his greatness is declared across the world and across time, and everybody knows his name. Amen? God was in control. Herod had no control over the situation. Herod's a very small player comparison to who the Christ is. So we see the significance of the Christ, the Messiah, that he's coming for all nations and not just a Jewish savior. Matthew didn't want the Jews to be mistaken about the fact that the Messiah wasn't just for them. We see the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 60, the king will come. Go, and we see Matthew, the significance of Matthew starting the book of Matthew with uh, Gentiles coming to fall down and worship him and ending the book of Matthew with what? Go. Make disciples everywhere. Preach the gospel, not just in Jerusalem, Judea, but the uttermost parts of the world. Here we see, come and see, The Gentiles have come to see the Christ, and at the end of Matthew, we see go, not just to the Jews, but go everywhere. The gospel's for everybody in the book of Matthew. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all the nations. The wise men really show us God's plan from the beginning, that he would redeem a people from everywhere, every tribe, every tongue, every color. It's amazing to me, depicted in Matthew chapter 2, how in control God is. And it's amazing to me, depicted in chapter 2, how significant Jesus is. We see very at, the, at the very beginning of the incarnation how significant he is. You know, how, how does that work for me? As I come to worship. Think about this morning who we worship. We have concerns. We have temporal concerns all the time. We have temporal concerns about politics. I mean, I, honestly, I, I get on Facebook, and in 90 seconds, I'm fuming mad, right? Come on. And, and I'm saying to myself, why do I do this to myself? And, and there's concern. Who's, regardless of what side of whatever debate you're on, you read it, and there's concern, and there's fear, and there's division. And we see the significance of who Jesus is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's in control. He's on the throne. Amen? Amen. This is who we worship, signified in Matthew chapter 2. We're so concerned about rulers and, reign, and those who reign these temporal kingdoms, and, and we forget sometimes that we worship the King of kings, the Messiah. What do we do here as we come together? And we lift our hands, and we sing like we sung this morning. This is who we're worshiping. It's not just the baby who was born that makes a cool Christmas story. It's, it's the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, who, as we're going to see, is the second, the better Moses, who, who led people out of Egypt and saved them from captivity. Jesus led us out of sin and has rescued us from destruction. Amen? This is who we worship. This is the significance of who we worship. As you're singing this morning, and, 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 you're, and you're reflecting in song, Psalm 42. Maybe you were late. I'm struggling. I love Psalm 42. Mike talked about it already. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? There's struggle. There's difficulty, there's loss, there's pain, there's recurring sin. Oh, thank you. As deer pants for flowing streams of water, which I pant for right now. <clears throat> thank you. Just a sparkling water, wow. <clears throat> Even better. It's a living illustration right here. As dear pants for flows of streaming water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears, how many of you have felt like this? My tears have been my food. Day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul 
How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts? How would I go? Lead them, David's saying, with worship, with glad shouts of song and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. How am I supposed to, David's saying, get in front of the people I lead and lead them in worship? And then he says this to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Who's ever said that? Who's ever shouted that while they're eating their tears, going through tragedy? Why do I feel this way? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Here's the answer. That Matthew chapter 2 describes to us who this person is, how significant they are, who it is you worship, why you can answer this question. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You're not just hoping in and worshiping a cute baby uh, in, a, in a manger. You're hoping in and worshiping the Messiah, the Christ, your Savior, the God who redeems. A, a God who when he came, stars moved. When he came, significant things happened. The Messiah has come. The incarnation has happened. The rescuer has arrived. And when you sit in this place, struggling, cast down, in turmoil, and you lift your hands and sing, Lord, I need you, you're singing to this God, amen? The God who can help, the God who is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who rules and reigns forever, our rescuer, amen? It's good news. This is who we worship. This is who we come on Sunday and we read about, we preach about, we pray about, we sing about. We come to the Lord's table and remember. This is who we worship. Matthew describing for us that he's not just an earthly baby, but he is the one who was foretold years ago, thousands of years ago, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah prophesied about, prophesied about, prophesied about, and the baby arrives, stars move, Gentile astrologers come to worship, the, the evil Jewish king concerned about his own throne gets concerned and they travel to a star that rests upon where he stays, and, and they come and they fall down before him. Why? Because he is the Messiah, the one who was foretold about, the one who, as you read through this chapter, is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. He is, as Matthew reads the Old Testament, and the lights turn on, and he says, this is Jesus, this is Jesus, this is Jesus, this is Jesus, it's significant. Amen? This is who we worship. You have hope in the midst of your loss. You have hope in the midst of your struggle. You have hope when life gets so difficult that you don't know where to turn. You have someone who is worthy of falling down before and worshiping. Amen? And it's this Jesus. And we see it displayed in Matthew chapter 2. We see, not only is he the Messiah, but that God wields the universe. 
to get people to recognize and worship his son. I mean, he's sovereign in all of this. And we see the activity of God. Not just in the immaculate conception in a pregnant 16-year-old girl in Nazareth. We see stars move. We see how remarkable that Mary is in the wrong town. She's in the wrong town to fulfill this prophecy. And God orchestrates a Roman census to move her to Bethlehem. To display this is his son. This is the Messiah. A Roman census. Wise men in Babylon, probably present-day Iraq, not Jewish, pagan, astrologer, looking at stars, recognize the significance of the movement of stars. Don't get caught up. I mean, there's articles everywhere about what the, is this some kind of supernova? Is it a special light? Is it, it doesn't matter. I don't know what it was. But it was something that moved a couple of astrologers, a few astrologers, to follow it, and it came to rest over where Jesus was. How did that happen? I don't know. Ask God when we get there. I'm not sure. Don't get caught up in the, in the minimalistic stuff like that. Look at the, the point. The point is God is moving stuff because it's significant, because the Messiah has come. They walk the five miles to Bethlehem and the star shows up and is over top of where the baby is. I feel like in this moment there's an opportunity for us again to not get caught up in the mentality of marginal things in relationship to this story, but to take joy in central truths of what God's depicting here in Matthew chapter 2. The Messiah has come, the glory of Christ, the horror of sin, the beauty of justification, and what Jesus is going to accomplish on our behalf, the fallenness of man, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us by his word. There are beautiful truths depicted here in the beginning of the life of Christ for us to take deep, deep joy in. Amen? So what's the point here? God's showing us that he sent his son to fulfill his plan. We see that the Messiah is someone worthy of worship, is the one who we should take our deepest joy in, is the one who should be our treasure. And we see that Jesus is the Messiah who's worthy of worship, but also troubling to those who don't want to worship him. We see Herod. Not only does he not want to worship him, he wants to kill him. We see scribes and Pharisees who should have recognized exactly who he was and the significance of the birth of Messiah, and they don't go to worship him. Chief priests, scribes, they gather, and they don't go. They didn't want to worship. They weren't interested. The city was stirred. We see that in verse 3. They're not ignorant to what's happening. They're indifferent. They're not looking. 
and they're not interested in worship. We got to ask ourselves these questions as we walk through Matthew. Because what Matthew's doing for us is he's answering the question of who Jesus is. And something each of us has to contend with as we look at the scriptures. In your life, in your heart, in your intellectual and existential, how you feel about it, how you think about it, everything surrounding you, you got to answer the question for yourself. Who's Jesus and what am I going to do with him? Is this the Christ who's died for my sins or is this just a neat story? Are you recognizing the significance of who Jesus is and going to adjust your life to fall down and worship him with your life? Do you see through the scriptures and the spirit of God working in your heart who he is and what he's worthy of in reference to your life? Or do you see the story and go back to work the next day indifferent as the scribes and the Pharisees did? This is who we worship. Herod's not just indifferent, Herod is scared. He's scared of losing something important to him. He asked these uh, astrologers, when did you see the star? It's probably about two years ago. And then thought, I'm going to kill every baby, two years old or younger, in Bethlehem where this Messiah is supposed to come. He's not just indifferent to Jesus. He's not just uninterested in worshiping Jesus. He's hostile. Boy, isn't that the response of some today? Not just indifferent to who Jesus is and the worship of Jesus, but hostile. Hateful. Folks, we're in a, we're in a time where we're enduring and about to endure a lot more, not just indifference to the gospel, but sheer hate for who Jesus is. Hostile. There's indifferent folks, there's hostile folks. And for us, we need to introspectively just take a look at what we believe about who Jesus is. And if he is who God says he is, the Messiah who fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, the one who has come, the one where God yielded nature. Wise men responded. The star moved. If he is the Messiah who would come and be, as we're going to see, a fulfillment of the, of the Moses to come, the second Moses, the greater Moses, where we see and recognize what the Messiah is supposed to do because as God was orchestrating biblical history, he depicted and pointed to Jesus in Moses when Moses went and led them out of captivity, led them into the desert for 40 years and 40 nights of testing. And Jesus, the better Moses, has come and not just led us out of physical national captivity as he did the Jewish nation, but he has come and led us out of captivity to our sin and to our own destruction, our own bent sinful natures. He's redeemed us and saved us. We see the life of Jesus um, exactly as Moses where he didn't go into the wilderness or he did go into the wilderness not for 40 years but 40 days and 40 nights fulfilling this prophecy that another greater Moses would come. We see in verse 2, this Messiah is the king with authority. We see in verse 11, as you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. Opening treasures, they offered him gifts. This is, this is a king worthy of dignity and honor as they fall to the ground and worship him. We see in verse 10 the way that they worship this Jesus. The Messiah, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They recognized the reality of who the Messiah is, and it produced exceeding joy. Folks, as we come to worship the Messiah, do we come with exceeding joy about who he is and what he's done? This is who we worship. And they came with sacrificial gifts that they gave. I'm challenged in this. I'm going to tell you how I'm challenged. My own worship. The scriptures are revealing to me God's incredible sovereign orchestration of bringing the Messiah, the coming Messiah, who Jesus is. And I'm answering that question in my own heart and saying, where does my worship lie? Do I worship him in the way that is required, considering who he is? Am I coming to him with exceeding joy about who he is? Am I coming to him and worshiping him with with dignity as I fall to my face and I worship him because of who he is? Am I coming sacrificially, bringing gifts, not because he needs my gifts. He doesn't need my gifts. Worship's not some dutiful thing where we we come out of duty and, and just give him gifts because we think he needs it. The reason I give is not because God needs it. I'm giving God something he doesn't need that I would enjoy having because I want to show that my hope and my desire and my treasure is in him. Does that make sense? When you come to worship God, whether you're giving your time whether you're giving your resources, whether you're sacrificially coming and and, and maybe don't feel like it, whatever it may be, it's not because God needs it. You're giving him something he doesn't need that you would enjoy having, not because he needs it, but because you're demonstrating that these temporal things aren't my greatest joy. You are. You're my treasure. And I want to worship you with joy because of the significance of who you are and what you've done. That's our response to the life of Jesus in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a response of exceeding joy and sacrificial giving and falling to our face because of who he is, because of what he's, what he's done. Our, our job in response to who the Messiah is is to reorient our lives to worship him, amen? That's why we're here this morning. We come on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, to worship the Messiah because of who he is and because of what he's done, because it's significant. We, we, we come not for ourselves, but we come to worship him. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we pray the scriptures. That's why we sing songs about who he is. And it impacts our heart in that way because of the significance of who he is. That's why it's important to us to sing songs that say something. Amen? I think as we talk about worship, we value singing songs 
that say something scripturally about who God is and what he's done. Because the significance of who he is brings us joy. Amen? The other thing we value doing is joyfully singing about him in a way where we, we respond. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? There's, I, I guess I'm hitting around the edges of a strange Christian debate. Okay? There's folks that, you, that really worship with exceeding joy and fall to their face and sometimes when maybe we look at uh, what they're singing and where it's coming from, sometimes it doesn't maybe come from the word of God in the way that it should. And sometimes it seems like, you know, I, I've, say, I've been in worship services where we spent, you know, a half an hour calling down the fire of God. And then you read the Bible and you're like, whoa, that's judgment. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Right? Okay, so we hadn't thought through exactly what we're singing. But then can I just say something very ap- ap- application-wise, very practical to us? Sometimes I see, I come in our circles and you get the Baptist, oh, that's preposterous, look at them. Like, oh, oh my goodness. Are those hands up? Have they fallen down on their face? Look at these charismatics who are so uh, hyped up and over-emotionalized. We pride ourselves in knowing the word. Let me challenge you. If you know the word of God and the significance of who Jesus is, and you haven't responded and falling to your face before God, maybe you don't know what you think you do. There is a challenge for us to worship the Messiah and a bunch of astrologist pagans ran to Bethlehem to fall on their face before him while the scribes and Pharisees stayed home and missed the greatest event in human history. In your arrogance about maybe what you think you know, maybe some of us need to think a little more deeply about who God is and allow ourselves to respond with heartfelt worship. I'm not telling you what it has to look like, but it needs to be heartfelt. Amen? Amen. should be worshiping God. We get to. We get to come together every Sunday, and do what we did this morning and what we're going to continue to do. And it's a great thing because of who he is. Amen? Amen. Hosea 11.1, we see God calling his son Israel out of Egypt. We see it in the Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, and we see in Isaiah. And all of this history points to Jesus points to these moments, and Matthew lays it out beautifully. So we see the significance of who he is. Matthew 2.18 is quoting Jeremiah 31. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping out loud with lamentation. And we see this prophecy being fulfilled as Herod goes out and kills these children in fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 prophecy about the exile, return from exile. This is really, folks, a new exodus as the life of Jesus as we walk through Matthew. We're going to see our rescuer. We're going to see our redeemer, the one who was born, the one who was worshiped by the Magi, the one who's celebrated here in the first two chapters, the incarnation and the birth of Christ. We're going to now jump fast forward into chapter three into the ministry of Christ, and we're going to see the greater Moses who's come to redeem. Like Moses, Jesus escapes the slaughter. 
of infant children. Like Moses, Jesus is sent to rescue God's chosen ones. But it is so much more of a significant rescue. Amen? What a fulfillment. What a picture Matthew paints for us. We're slaves in exile to our sin. And Jesus has come to rescue and take us out of Egypt. God orchestrated miraculously these incredible acts during the Exodus. And we see him orchestrating Jesus, these incredible acts at his birth. You see that last act? And after we sing a song, we're going to come to the Lord's table. Where God, when Pharaoh won't let these people go, has all the people of Israel kill a lamb, consume it, put the blood of it on the doorposts of their home. The angel of death comes over. I would imagine they woke up that morning here in screams. Because the firstborn of every house had died, except for those who had the blood on their doorpost. This Messiah. Do you imagine? I know we've talked about this before. Being the firstborn son in a Jewish house on that morning, looking at the empty plate as they consume the entire lamb. And thinking, thank God for that lamb. We're going to come here in a few moments. That's who Jesus was. He was that lamb. He stood in front of his disciples while they celebrated what? The Passover. And he said, it's me. That's what I'm going to do rescue you from your slave to sin. From your slavery, I'm going to give you freedom. We worship the Messiah who actually is our hope because of the significance of who he is and what he's done. Because he's fully God and fully man. When we worship, Lord, I need you, I had a moment here this morning as we sang that song together because it's the the significance of who he is. Because as I thought about my own sin, I had a Martin Luther-esque kind of quick moment here this morning where I thought, I can't be righteous enough to save myself. Lord, I need you. And guess what? I get his alien righteousness Apply to me. That's the significance of who this baby is. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. That should be the worshipful cry of our hearts as we look to the scriptures and recognize who he is and what he's done. This is a baby whose birth signified who he was. This is our rescuer. This is our Messiah. This is the one we should choose to worship. Not just here on Sunday, 
but with our lives. Amen? With our entire life. Let the Messiah be your treasure. Let him be the one you value. Above career, above vacation, above paycheck, above an opportunity to golf before the weather changes, right? Above all of these temporal things that we lay our lives upon. This is significant. This is who he is. He is the only one worthy of worship. And God moved nature so that we would recognize that his son is the Messiah and his son should be known and his son should be worshiped above all else. Like he's always said from the beginning, from the first time he revealed himself on the mountain of Moses, Lord your God should be worshiped above all else. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, for the significance of who you are, and we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.